Welcome to Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. Be part of a conversation between Graham Hood, champion fisherman, airline pilot and school dropout, and Ali Gonzalez, wannabe fisherman and holder of more useless degrees than you can poke a stick at. What could these two possibly have in common? The fact that neither of them have anything to hide. That's what. Mates in Courage. Take a listen. G'day, Graham. What are we talking about today? Ellie, g'day. Um, I want to talk about that big pink elephant that lives in the living room that everyone ignores. Uh, what's that? Porn. What do we have to? Porn, Ellie. We have to. All right. We have to. We need to tread a little bit carefully with this. But mm-hmm. by the same token, that doesn't mean we ignore the topic. Okay, so we're doing a podcast on it, so we're not ignoring the topic. We're not ignoring the topic. But we have we have talked about doing one on porn, and we've we've sort of shied away from it a couple of times for various reasons. But, it's not you know, family-friendly. It's not family-friendly, no. It's not friendly to anything, really. No. But what we've got to do is um, we've actually got to acknowledge it for what it is and talk about it because if we don't talk about it then it just keeps simmering away in the dark corners of our recesses so what qualifications do we have to talk about porn well i'm a porn addict and so am i well that's a pretty good qualification to start with all right so So we actually know something about it we do well you know we know the destructive power of porn Mm, we do and we we know we know the triggers and we know all those things and we know um we're very aware of it because um, I've spent over half a century studying it mm. intently for mm. the wrong reasons. Oh, let's just be technical about this and because mm. we've got to confront the, the issue, the size of the issue. What's the size of this problem in society? This is the crazy part, Ellie. You go onto Google and you type in porn statistics and what you end up with is being bombarded with pop-ups for porn sites. You, you know, it's very hard to research it without being putting yourself in harm's way if mm. you're an addict. But, you know, some of the more generalised statistics that most people would have heard is, I think better than 85% of men in the Western world consume pornography Mm -hmm. and probably around 70% of women consume it. And of that percentage of people on the planet who consume it, about 20% will become addicted to it. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about consumption and addiction as two different areas. What strikes me about those statistics is... First of all, that research has been done, that has been done, shows that among Christians, the statistics are the same. Yeah, exactly. You and I are both Christians, Yeah. at least for men. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Yeah. And the second thing that strikes me about those statistics is that the percentage of women who consume porn is not too far off the percentage of men. Apparently so, yeah. And it is a problem that cuts across all of society. Yep. You know, you and I are not not alone no. in dealing with it. No. And if we don't speak out, who will? Yep. Right? And it's also a problem that impacts both genders. It's not a men's problem alone. No, it's not. And, and it's not a, an age-specific issue either because the ramifications of it affect uh, children as well. Absolutely. Uh, in, in the destruction of families, but also in the exploitation mm-hmm. area. My own kids grew up in a, a kind of funny way, knowing that something wasn't quite right, but they couldn't put their finger on it. 
And that was the fact that my porn addiction kept me living in such secrecy and having me behave in in ways to protect my own image that actually took me away from them in some mm. way. I mean, I was there at every event, but a lot of my thinking was, was uh, related back to porn. Mm. I mean, I was savage, savagely mm. addicted to it. I lost my identity to it, and I... In well, 2006, I was going to kill myself. Well, so. I've, I've heard you share about your addiction yeah. mm. um, before in other forums. Yeah. So maybe you might uh, just share now. Yeah, well, sure. Look, you know, like most men I talk to about pornography, it started in puberty for me mm-hmm. when I found a box of girly magazines when I was sick in a caravan that we were living in and, and I couldn't put it down. Mm. I couldn't put the magazines down and I kept going back to them all the time and... Um, and eventually uh, I realised, I could tell even at that age of about 12 that I had a real problem with it mm. and I I didn't understand it and I wanted to talk to somebody but there wasn't a soul I could talk to because mm. I felt if I talked to Dad about it that I'd be in trouble for finding his magazines and, and he'd think I was a sicko. So I started to tell myself that I was a sicko mm. and that I was going to end up being a dirty old man and I, it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because I... I was devious in my thinking, not in that I needed to satisfy my appetite for pornography in secret ways. And I became Mm. devious about how I did that, you know, like jigging school, for example. Um, I couldn't do porn when I was at school. Mm. And I'm not talking about internet pornography. I'm talking about just magazines and photos. So in order for me to really get into pornography, I I couldn't go to school. So I had to jig school. Wow. and That's that's a big... That's, that's a, huge. That's a big habit. That's a big habit that's killing your life. It's killing mm. your destiny. And not far from where our house was, there was a cave in the bush. And mm. I found this cave and I filled it with pornography. Wow. And I used to go there with my school lunch. My mum packed in the morning and then she'd go to work and dad was already at work. And I, you know, they, for all intents and purposes, for six months, they thought I was getting on the bus and going to school and getting home before them. Mm. And I'd go with my, with my lunch that mum packed and I'd sit in the cave and I'd look at all these pictures uh day in day out and i was mentally destroying myself Mm. wow and uh and then i of course i i started to fall behind with everything that was going on at school and when i was eventually caught for truancy and sent back i lasted about a month so at the age of 13 i was i'd given up school altogether so pornography uh shaped your your life it did. I guess. It did. So then I thought I thought the only way to be normal about this is to have a normal relationship with a woman as I got older and I married my first wife and she was a bit older than me and I was um, very young and immature. I was only, you know, 20 mm-hmm. and she was 27. And um, so, you know, it was, it was the wrong reason to think that I was going to deal with it. But our marriage became dysfunctional uh, right throughout the 34 years and a lot of that had to do with the pornography because I just couldn't escape it. Mm. And, uh, you know, the worst thing that happened to me, Ellie, during that period was when my 12-year-old daughter, my youngest daughter at that mm. age, uh, actually crept up into the study to surprise me with something. And mm. um, I remember I, every time I turned off the computer from watching porn, I'd look, stare at my reflection in the black screen and... Mm-hmm. And it, with loathing in myself, and I'd shake my head, and I'd think I used to feel disgusting. Mm. And then one night I turned the computer off, and I was looking at my reflection, and I noticed her reflection behind me, and she would be there watching me, mm. and it destroyed me. Mm. Yeah, you know, I was her hero up until then. I was Daddy, the airline pilot, and Daddy, the 
the um, you know always there at the ballet ballet recitals and at the school tuck shop and all that sort of stuff. I was very mm. very active in my kids' lives uh, towards the end of it, especially towards the end of our relationships mm. and and then and then that I thought that's got to be the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. And I fell into a fetal position for two days and I cried and I promised I'd never watch it again. But after that two-day period of grieving, I went straight back to it. So mm. not even being caught by my 12-year-old daughter would stop me mm. from watching it. Now, it wasn't that you were a, you know, some kind of do-gooder or a Christian or something and that made an you feel guilty. No. no, you're an atheist. I was an atheist. But as a human being, I mean, yeah. we've, we've still got characters no matter what mm-hmm. we believe in. Mm. And my character was so blemished and so tarnished and so broken. Uh, it was my complete identity. I mean, if I had a day off from work and nobody was at home, if it was a day off through the week, I would sit in front of a computer for eight hours. So you, eight hours? I'd watch porn for eight hours in a day. Well, you you were aware, weren't you, of the damage that porn was doing to to you, your identity, your relationship with your wife and your daughters? There might be guys listening or women who might say, well, yeah, but that's not me. I'm in control of this. You know, yeah. Well, um, it's not doing that sort of damage. No one knows. Yeah. Um, it's just something I do, you know, for a bit of fun, pleasure. Ellie, the fact that even if I was the only one who knew, that was bad enough. The more you look at porn, the more bland it becomes, and the different genres flash before you, and you start looking at different things that are really weird, and and it takes you to dark places that you just um, you just find absolutely abhorrent even in the in the height of your addiction you don't you just think how disgusting is that and thankfully there's a morality that lives in us that gets us to to switch off some of the bad stuff and get away from it as quickly as possible but and but to live in abject disgust of yourself i mean you put on a mask and say yeah well look look, i only do it for fun Uh, let me tell you if um if you're in a relationship and you bring that imagery into your mind in the bedroom of your of your marital home that's infidelity your head's in the wrong space if you have to watch pornography in order to be successful in the marital home in the bedroom uh, that is that is a falsehood and that is an an absolute oxymoron because it actually makes you less effective i think uh, that most people go around through life not understanding what makes them tick yeah and thinking that they're in control yeah but i can say from personal experience and it's not something i realized at the time you know for decades but i can say now from personal experience that uh, the consumption of pornography destroys how you see yourself yeah and it destroys it negatively affects your communication with others yeah and particularly with with those you love your the most with your spouse and with your children. And in, in insidious ways, as I say, that you don't realise at the time. You know, they've actually done medical brain scans of uh, porn addicts. Yeah. And their brains change. You know, yeah. every time you watch porn, you are rewiring your brain in a certain way. Mm. Yeah, I've seen that. In actual, in actual fact, it's, it's about to be classified as a drug addiction. Because the stimulus of watching pornography gets the brain to get the body to produce chemicals that normally exist in the body, things like dopamine and endorphins and that, in, in overload proportions that become addictive. Ooh. So it's kind of like you're shooting up. Ooh. I can vouch for that because I remember the desire to watch porn would be a churning in my stomach 
and it would get to the stage where I could only stop from trembling Ooh. if I watched it. Ooh. And uh, then when it was over, I'd get the shakes. And I've I have a tremor now that I I've had for many many years that I that I am convinced was brought on by my porn addiction and, and the the drugs that that caused my body to overdose Ooh. on naturally. Ooh. With with a sub with an unnatural stimulus, there'll, there'll be people. I'm just playing devil's advocate here, Graham. Yeah, there'll be people who say, "Well, that's you know, you were obviously sick, you know, eight hours a day." Yeah, you know, I, I don't do anywhere near that. It might be you know, just a little bit here and there. Yeah. What would you say to that? Well, let's look at addiction. I once listened to an 82 year old lady talk about her uh, addiction to alcohol. She was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. She would have a very small glass of sherry at six o'clock every evening, mm. and she did most of her life. Now, it was something nothing. I mean, I'm talking about a fraction of a cup of mm. sherry. Mm. But if she didn't have that every night, she used to get the shakes. Mm. I know people who are addicted to their own opinions. I'm one of those. <laughs> I'm addicted to my own opinion. Addiction is a, an insidious thing. And the thing about it is you have a little bit and you think, yeah, that made me feel good. And then it's like a block of chocolate, you know. You say, I'm only going to have one square. Hmm. Oh, that was really nice. I might have another square. And so you eventually build up and you get a a bigger and bigger high. But the falls from the the big highs are very deep. Hmm. And then you need a bigger high to overcome the fall. So it's a triangle of addiction that Hmm. Michelle talks about a lot, um, Hmm. which is talked about in counselling circles. So anyone who thinks that uh, this is a something, nothing Mm. is actually fooling themselves. Now, there's another side to this too, and that is the exploitation of human beings brought about by the market for porn. That's right. You know, we think, oh, I'm not paying for it. I'm just looking at the free stuff. It's not hurting. It's not like I'm having an affair. It's not like I'm I'm doing these things to people. Mm. But every time you click on a free site, you're actually creating a market for somebody because these... um, these webmasters get, I think, about half a cent equivalent in cash for every person that, that they hit with a, mm-hmm. with a pop-up. Mm-hmm. So every time you go to one of those sites, you're creating a market for many unscrupulous people who exploit the downfall of other people in order to, uh, so that they may survive to satisfy your appetite. Mm-hmm. And when I think that someone's forced into, into a position like that, into some kind of sexual bondage because I, I've got this desire... Mm-hmm. It makes me. Uh, it damages my character even more. That that that's someone's daughter. That's somebody's daughter. Could be your daughter. Exactly, exactly. And that and yet, the true porn addict will know that. Yeah, they'll feel that at a surface level. But when the when that grinding in the stomach happens again, they that switch all that stuff off. Mm. The blinders go on. Mm. I'll deal with that later. Mm. And of course, you do deal with it later because when you've stopped, mm. you've just watched it and you've stopped for a little while. That's when you feel really low hmm. and you, you don't like yourself and you start to hate yourself. And then you start to believe that other people hate you too. Hmm. Yeah, the ho- anything you have to do in secret is not good for you. Hmm. Well, that's what I was saying. It destroys your, your self-identity. Yeah. You know, and it's like a cancer that eats you from the inside out. Yeah. You become its slave. It effectively drives your life Yeah, uh, because then you have to cover it up. Yeah. So you become a master at being fake. Yes, and, and you know, recently, and, and I think this is timely, I think uh, everything, world events are bringing people to their, their knees and their senses. There have been a few people who I've deemed high profile 
uh, in my life who have actually stepped out and said, my life's crumbling because of this. It's killing me and it's killing my family. Some of them being caught out. Mm. You know, their wives have caught them watching porn. And they feel like hypocrites. And, and, and here's the thing, you know, like in all aspects of life, we need to avoid behaviours that make us feel like mm. a hypocrite because hypocrisy is a thing that most people abhor. Mm. I think inherently we should abhor mm. uh, hypocrisy. And it, it's astounded me that some of the people who in their community would say are least likely to be affected by porn are now falling like 10 pins in a bowling alley to it. Well, remember those statistics. Yeah, exactly. Right? They say lies, damn lies and statistics, but yeah. that statistic doesn't lie. It doesn't. So, so where did your porn addiction lead you in the end? To the point of suicide in 2006. Um, I realised that I'd lost my identity. It had completely consumed me. Uh, I had no faith in anything. I had no hope for a future. Mm. Uh, I'd become a walking ATM. I was uh, an unwanted house guest in my own home. What it, a life. Shocking life. Mm. A shocking life. I mean, I was totally consumed to the point of death. It was eating me alive. Uh, I was dramatically overweight. I was overeating to, you know, I was trying to fill all the wrong holes with the wrong things. And mm-hmm. and that's when uh, that's when faith stepped in for me mm. and, and turned everything around. And I started to see that I had an identity in something much more wholesome than pornography. Mm. And that was Jesus. And... Um, and the funny part was I'd avoided Jesus all of my life because I, I thought it was all a hoax. Mm-hmm. And the greatest things that have ever happened to me have happened with his stamp on it. And um, so that brings me to a point of great joy and, and relief. I've, I've talked in the past about your strength lies in your vulnerability. Well, here mm-hmm. we are telling we don't know how many people about the darkness of my addiction. Mm-hmm. And I've done it on TV. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of the day, I, I don't care because it's what, Christ thinks of me that's most important now. Well, there'll be some people listening again, Yeah, playing devil's advocate. What has God done for you, Graham? Because um, at the beginning of this, you said you're a porn addict. You're a porn addict back then, you're a porn addict now. What has Jesus done for me? When I realised that uh, I was looking for something to fill that God-shaped hole in me, I needed to understand who Jesus was. I mean, I decided to go down the pathway of Christianity to see what it was like. Christianity is named after Christ. Mm. So who is Christ? Why should, why should people be devoted to that perspective in their faith? And, and so I took about six months to understand who Christ was in my own way. Church wasn't giving that to me. Mm. Several people were studying with me and being very helpful. But for me, they were missing the mark. I needed to know who Jesus was. Mm-hmm. And it finally hit me that someone I'd never met 2,000 years ago died the most unspeakable death on the cross so a filthy porn addict like me could have a second chance at eternal life. And that's when I found a hope for my future. I really believe that. So for me, it was Christ who died in my stead that has given me the impetus to take this head on. And that's a powerful impetus. So I went from uh, I went from being an atheist ready to kill myself to somebody who's now being able to talk about this years on, mm. with a hope for the future that that has me living in a mellow, peaceful place. And I don't think you're consuming porn eight hours a day now, otherwise we couldn't be recording this. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, I've had my stumbles. I yeah. I gave up cold turkey in two thousand and uh, late two thousand and six. I gave up cold turkey for, I think, six years, and then I had a stumble, uh, which I declared to Michelle, my my wife now, my second wife, 
an amazing woman. Yeah, and she loved me through it. Mm. You know, I thought it would end end our relationship because she's she's always trusted me. And she just said to me, you, you know, she said, "What can I do to help you?" Mm. And I love you, and and it's okay. What an amazing response! And and that was the response we all longed for. Mm. And I call it the Jesus response. Yeah. Uh, Michelle gave me the Jesus response. And I've had a couple of stumbles since then as well, mm-hmm. since then. And I, it's never far away from me. Mm. And any addict will know that. It's never far away mm. from you. It's only your next fall could be tomorrow or there may not, may never be one. But mm. if while you don't want to live in that identity, you have to be aware that that's your weak spot and protect yourself. And how have you changed as a man and your relationships since you gave up porn and started on the road to recovery? Physically, my marriage is much, much better, much better because it's more about intimacy than it is about sex. This is your marriage with With Michelle, Michelle, yeah, your second wife, my second wife. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all it's when I'm with her, it's all about her. It's not about Mm. some movie that I watched an hour ago. (laughs) Um, So that that physically, it's been great. I actually feel normal again, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really nice. It's given me a vulnerability that gives me a fair amount of power in my life because I'm free of the secrecy. Mm. The fact that we're talking about it now means I don't care. I'm, I'm done with it. Uh, I can't say I'm done with porn, mm. I'm, but I'm done with the secrecy and I'm done with the... I mean, every time I've stumbled, I've had to come out and tell somebody. Mm. I've had to share it with somebody, whether it be in, in my group, in my you know my 12-step group or mm. with Michelle or whatever. Because I don't want to hide in that secrecy anymore. Mm. While we're talking about the damage it does and we're talking about the reasons it happens and why how prolific it is, we need to think about a solution as well. And I think the way that society traditionally deals with addicts is to isolate and condemn them. Mm. And that's not the way. Because the addiction that they have, and porn is one of them, is to mask an inherent pain of feeling unloved and rejected. Mm. And when you reject somebody and isolate them, you're actually creating a greater desire for their addiction. Mm. And that's true in porn. Now, we talked about porn a little bit in a previous episode, and I listened to I listened to some of our podcasts occasionally to get my head around what we've been talking about. And I was rather scathing of some the way some women treat their husbands who've been found out watching porn. Mm. Because we do a lot of couples counselling here, I've seen very, very judgmental and condemning attitudes from some wives who in some ways have been contributing to the addiction by isolating their husbands in many other ways. No, I'm not just talking about in the bedroom. I'm talking about making them feel less than manly in the marriage, condemning them and, and not meeting their emotional needs and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I've seen the damage that done uh, that's done and I've seen women handle catching their husbands in a pornography addiction in disastrous ways that have destroyed the families. But I've also seen astounding women. Mm. And there's one recently who, this woman has uh, been married for you know 25 odd years to a guy who, who has a, a community position, let's say. And she has loved this man and done everything mm-hmm. she can to meet his needs. But he came to their marriage with baggage. Mm-hmm. A baggage around his addiction of, to pornography at a very young age, which made mm-hmm. him angry with himself, which made him angry mm-hmm. in general. And she's had to live with his anger and his secrecy and his addiction has eventually caught up with him. Mm-hmm. And she's done everything possible to love him through it. Mm-hmm. And there are so many spouses who do that, men mm-hmm. and women. Mm-hmm. 
and I want to uphold them, mm. you know. I want them to know that it's not their fault, that they're dealing with a spouse who's probably had this addiction since puberty. It doesn't affect the, their love for them. It affects the way they express the love mm. because of the secrecy that they're living mm. in. The person that they love is still a human being, mm. is still a good human being, who still has great potential. Yep. And we must never let go of that, you know. Isolation and condemnation are the worst things we can do. We have to love people through it. We have to give Jesus responses to people in addiction. Mm. You know, Michelle said three things when I told her the first time. She said, are you okay? Mm. First thing she said was, are you okay? No, I feel lower than I've ever been. I can't believe I've Mm. done this to you. Then she said, was it anything I did? No, honey, I've been struggling with this since I was 12. Mm -hmm. This is my problem. It's not yours. And then she said, what can I do to help you? Now, the thing is, in order to be there, she had to make a decision not to own my addiction. It's not her addiction. Mm -hmm. It's mine. Mm -hmm. Now, because she loves me unconditionally and she wants me to live in the best character that I can have, she wants to watch my back. But on the same token, when a woman finds her husband watching pornography Mm. it brings into into question all her doubts about herself of course it does you know am i not good enough um am i not performing well enough all Mm -hmm. those things all come into play and her insecurities you know michelle said to me once when i fall to my addiction Mm -hmm. it brings up all her stuff too Mm. her all her not good enough Mm. and it's important that we understand that Mm. about our spouses and um and the way we've got to see the world with kids these days with teenagers Many suicides are brought about by porn. A lot of young boys feel that they have to perform like a porn star in order to have a girlfriend. A lot of girls feel that they have to perform like a porn star in order to and do the things Mm -hmm. that porn stars do to have a relationship. How destructive is that? Mm. I mean, even even porn stars, when you listen to the interviews with them and read books that they've written, they don't perform like that in their their normal life. Mm. They don't treat people objectively or subjectively like like that in Mm. their normal life. Their relationships struggle because of the job that they do, but Mm. that's not who they are in real life. They've Mm. got to perform too. They have to take drugs to be able to perform the way they're seen on the screen. And this is so counterproductive to everything that society requires to to build people of good character. Mm. And anything that we have to keep in the dark is not good for us. Because, I mean, I can vouch for the fact that uh, porn will eventually catch up to you. Yeah. You know, no matter who you are yeah, uh, or how secret you think it is, yeah. and I'm not necessarily talking about being discovered by your family, yeah. uh, but it will catch up with you yeah. and, uh, and it will destroy your life. So it's important to reach out and get help. It's, and that first step is so difficult. Yeah. You know, it was so difficult for me. Made easier by the fact that my family discovered my addiction, yeah. but still so difficult. Because the sooner you start on the path of recovery and healing, the better it gets, Yeah, uh, really. Denial's not a river in Egypt. The other, the other thing uh, that I've learnt uh, because of my, my porn addiction, and I'm probably at, at a similar place where you're at mm. personally, mm. you know, different circumstances and relationships. But the other thing that I've learnt is that, yeah, I always thought that porn was just there. And yeah. it really was yeah. just just there for a long time. Yeah. And um, I didn't realise what it was doing to my life. Yeah. I thought I had problems because of other people. I thought I had problems because 
well, other people not being fair or not being right or not understanding, yeah. or I had problems because I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. That was a big one, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I couldn't talk properly to people. I couldn't explain to people or, or I wasn't, uh, you know, loving enough to people or whatever it might be. I wasn't good enough. And it wasn't until I, I realised as part of my own journey that porn is a symptom and that to treat it, you, you need to actually understand what the, what the root causes are, you yeah. know, the, yeah. what the disease is. Yep. And, and in my case, um, and I discovered porn in my early teens too, I think that's probably when most guys discover porn. In, it seems to be the common denominator. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think why it was so easy for me to, to, uh, to be attracted to it, it was because I had a huge gaping hole in my life. Mm. I think a lot of people do. Yeah. And, and that was a hole where I, I desperately wanted to feel accepted mm. by my father, mm. by my family, mm. you know, by others. I could never quite perform well enough to a sufficiently high standard mm. to be accepted by my father, yeah. you know. And, and, and because I wasn't accepted by, you know, the ones I loved the most... I never felt accepted by anyone else. Yeah. And that was the, the gaping hole, and I didn't realise that I was using porn to fill that hole. Yeah. And I, it was a hole that porn could never fill because porn never fills holes. It only makes bigger holes. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. Yeah. I've, never, I've never thought of it that way. It only digs a deeper hole, doesn't it? Does. It does. You know, the, the thing that hits me about it is the subtlety of the destruction, the subtlety of its presence in our lives. I was driving up the freeway to work one day and there was this big billboard on the side of the freeway with two girls in a bikini. And underneath it, it said, uh, come to this men's club. Go on, you know you deserve it. Deserve what? I've had friends say to me since I became a Christian, friends on you before I became a Christian say to me, I'd say to them, you know, I don't hear much from you anymore. Oh, you know, you've changed. Yeah, and? Yeah, but, you know, we just want the old hoodie back. (laughs) And I said, the one who used to watch porn eight hours a day who wanted to kill himself, the one who cheated on his wife, you want him back. I don't want to have anything to do with him ever again. It's kind of like it brings them back down, you know. Mm, mm. I would like to think that they would get to see the real me because I'm not living in secret anymore and Mm. and get to know me in that aspect without thinking that I'm about to Bible bash them or anything else, you know. Mm. Yeah. But the, the great thing that uh, showed me how strong the faith of Jesus had worked in my life was just before my dad died when uh, he was abjectly against me becoming a Christian. I never really opened the Bible in front of my dad. I never tried to convert him or anything. I just started living mm. in that new faith. Mm. And before he died, he was watching me intently. And before he died, he said to me that I was 10 times a better dad than he was and 10 times a better father. And he said, Graham, I thank God for that. Mm. And I've said this before. So Dad saw the changes that were evolving mm, in me. Mm. He saw my joy starting to emerge mm, again. Mm. Because underneath the phoniness of who I was, there was this horror mm, in who I was. Mm. And, and and I used to think that I did a good job of hiding it, but everybody could see mm. it. It's a secret you can't keep. You know, Graham, years ago when your dad said that to you, yeah. shortly before he passed away, yeah. you told me. Yeah. And I could see the joy in your face. Yeah, it was. You were just glowing. Yeah. Aren't they the words every son wants to hear from his father? Absolutely. We need to hear them a lot earlier in life. Yeah. But the fact that I got to hear it at all was a gift that I'll never, never, ever um, 
put on the back burner. That was that was something I'll cherish for the rest of my life. You've received lots of gifts, Graham. I have. I yeah. have since I stepped out of the secrecy of it all. What do you think is the, the most positive change in your life? Just pick one thing. The most positive change in your life since you started on the road to recovery from porn addiction? Freedom. Freedom? Absolute freedom. Yeah. Freedom to stumble even and not, and not hang myself on a cross. That's that. freedom. That's freedom. Freedom to uh, talk about things the way that I am now without hating myself for it. Um, freedom to look in the mirror without being disgusted at what I saw. Mm. And also the freedom of having the God-shaped hole in my soul filled with God and not with porn or trying to fill yeah. it with other things. For me, I'd say it's identity. Mm-hmm. I know who I am now. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with who I am. Yeah, you are. I'm confident in who I am. I don't need porn. Yeah. And I don't need your approval. No. I don't need anyone's approval. And I guess in a way of saying it, it's just another way of saying what you said, freedom. It is. Yeah. And God's given us that. And I tell you, you know what, and he wants us to talk about it. I, you know, as you know, I'm part of an online uh, men's group who who are people who are struggling with pornography. And you can just see in their faces uh, week after week that we, we share mm-hmm. our stories and we share our, our experiences and we share our falls and we share our highs and lows. You can just see the freedom slowly permeating through their lives as well. They're starting mm-hmm. to lift. And to anyone out there who's got this issue, it needs to be talked about. You need mm-hmm. to find someone you can trust and admit it. And, and what... One of the guys that admitted in the group was that because he's able to talk about these things and even mm-hmm. talk about a fall, mm-hmm. what they're actually doing is um, is experiencing the freedom that can come from honesty mm. and integrity. Mm. You know, it's okay. It's okay to fall. There's a verse in the Bible: "Blessed yeah. are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted." That means for me, if you fall off the wagon and you grieve that you've fallen off the wagon. Mm. If you're honest with someone you trust and with God, you will be comforted. You're not going to be isolated and condemned. There'll be lots of people out there listening to this, quick to judge you, Graham, quick to judge me for a whole range of reasons, whether they're believers in Jesus Christ or not. You know, I think it's human nature to judge others. Uh, So what would you say to anyone out there who's thinking that they're better than you? I'm really glad you you asked that question. And me. I often preempt any time I speak in public when I'm about to tell my story. Mm. And I say, if in the telling of this story, you're sitting there in judgment and condemnation of me, see that as a gift. Because that's God's way of shining a light on a defect in your character that he wants you to look at. That's pretty good. That'll do me. What about you? What would you say to somebody? What I'd say to somebody is is basically along the lines of, um, you know, who are they to to say that one fault, one sin, one defect is worse than another Yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. You know. You know, I've often fantasised about going into a church where everybody had their sin tattooed on their forehead and they couldn't hide it. Can you imagine looking up and down the pews at all these people with their sin tattooed and, and all their pretense yep. would disappear? That's right. You know, their $3,000 Armani suit and the, and the gilt-edged gilt leather-bound Bible would mean absolutely nothing. No. Because there they are. And their judgment and condemnation of other people would be seen for what it is. It's just a mask. It's time to be more real, isn't it, mate? Sure is, buddy. That's what we do here. That's what we've got to do. We've got to focus yeah. on that. So if you need, if you guys need to talk to somebody about this, make sure you do. Trust somebody. 
It's yep. time to start loving ourselves and loving loving the people around us and getting rid of this stuff. Well, that's it. Oh, it's been a long one, this one, Graham, but I think uh, an important one. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about yep. it at long last. All right. Well, thanks, Graham, and we'll chat again soon. Good to chat, mate. See ya. See ya. Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. To sign up for Graham and Ellie's daily spiritual message emails about recovering from addictions, hurts and hang-ups, visit goodnewsunlimited.com. To book Graham and Ellie for talks, get in touch at the same website. And if you're troubled by anything you've heard, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or an equivalent service in your own country. Thanks for listening. Mates in Courage. Catch you in the next episode.